What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Josh of the band You Me at Six over a Zoom video. Josh talks about where he was born and raised and how he got into music. His sister is a vocalist and piano player, and she used to practice in the same room as a television. So growing up, he would hear her play, and that inspired him to want to learn an instrument. He asked his parents if he could learn the drums. They said no, but they bought him a classical guitar, so had the nylon strings. When he started guitar lessons, in the beginning he was learning how to play classical guitar, but then he told the teacher, like, hey, I really just want to learn how to play songs that I like, and I really want to learn how to write songs. So this guitar teacher showed Josh different chord progressions and really started to help him write songs, some of his early, early songs. Josh talks about the band he was in prior to You, Me at Six, how he eventually met Max and started the band. He talked about the band's success on MySpace and how that led to really big shows, selling out big venues around the UK, playing the Slam Dunk Festival, how they got a slot on the Slam Dunk Festival very early in their career. And he really breaks down all of the band's albums, kind of the highlights of each record. And we get into the new album quite a bit as well which is called Truth Decay. You can watch our interview with Josh on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with you, me at six. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Of course, man. All good. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm, I'm Adam, and this is about you and your journey in music, and we can talk about the new album as well. Okay. Sweet. Sounds good. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, Whereabouts are, are you? Coming in from? I'm asking the same thing. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm in uh, Brighton in the UK, man, along the seafront. Oh, beautiful. I'm in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, love Nashville. Yeah, we, we recently moved here from, uh, actually, it's been a couple of years now, but uh, from San Diego, California. Okay, nice, man. Yeah, we made, um, we made a record at Blackbird. Oh, you did? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah so we've got lots of fun memories of um of nashville we had an amazing time there it's a, a really special place i think very unique yeah it's great we yeah i've been here a couple of years now and absolutely love it so uh definitely different than living in san diego but <laughs> yeah yeah i bet man <laughs> i can't i can't remember there being uh too many seaside places in nashville so i don't think it's that anywhere near the coast is it no no, it's in the middle. Um, it's about yeah, yeah like six hours. The, I think the closest beach you have to drive all the way south through Alabama, like the Alabama Florida kind of border there. That sort of spot, yeah, yeah. Um, well, That's awesome. So, so, uh, where whereabouts were you born and raised? Uh, so I was born in um, a hospital in London, Hammersmith, um, and then uh, grew up in a place called Weybridge, Surrey, uh, which I guess is like, it's the southwest of London. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's about it's about 25 minutes on the train from the centre of London, um, but it's kind of also in like near Berkshire and Berkshire, which is kind of like Reading Festival is probably about uh, 25 minutes from where I grew up. Wow. Uh, so yeah. Would you it's, go check um, that out as a kid? Yeah, so I, I went to Reading for the first time when I was, uh, so basically it's kind of like a rite of passage when you pass your, I guess what would be high school exams, like when you're 16, mm -hmm. um, you go to Reading Festival, at least that's what you did where, you, when, where we were from growing up in Surrey. Um, so yeah, me and all my high school mates went there. Um, and then the following summer was the first time we ever played it in 2007. So, wow. Um, we, yeah, our history is kind of like I went there once and then the next year I was playing it. And yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. 
yeah, pretty pretty wild, pretty wild wow. for sure. Well, how it, it was you... a cool cool place to grow up, man, for sure. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, because you're. I mean, it sounds like you're close to obviously to the Reading Festival, but then 25 minutes into London, that's awesome as well. Yeah. yeah, so I guess like all the um, growing up, like all the shows I'd go to would be at like. Uh, well, most of them aren't around anymore, but like the London Astoria was a venue that I'd go to a lot. A lot of like the drive through records bands would play there, or the Mean Fiddler, which is next door. But like going to like, hardcore shows at like the Underworld or the Dome in Tufnell Park. So it was cool because I had like that sense of having a local community and a local music scene, but then I could be watching, you know, my favorite bands in front of like, you know, two, three thousand people just 20 minutes down the road on the train. So it's pretty cool in that sense. So yeah, it was a big, um, a big plus being where we were and also like where we're from. It's kind of also, I guess the countryside. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was kind of quite a small, small town. Um, and everybody kind of knows everyone's business, <laughs> but then, yeah, it was weird. But, then you're, but it was, yeah, a good childhood. Yeah, then you're close to, yeah, close enough to this. To, to, I mean, that's really close. To, yeah, to 25 minutes. Um, how did you get into music? Do you come from a musical household? Um, I, I guess yes and no, in the sense that neither of my parents um, uh, play. Uh, Mum reckons she's got a voice, um, but uh, <laughs> it, it was it was from honestly it was from my older sister Alyssa. Uh, when I was growing up, she'd always be playing piano in um the living room which is where the tv was also so i'd be like gaming and uh she'd be just writing songs and playing my favorite songs on the piano so when i was like 12 and start secondary school i said to my parents i wanted to play an instrument uh and originally i wanted to play the drums and my mom and dad were like we can't afford a drum kit but we can get you this sweet as nylon string acoustic guitar um so I started basically learning classical guitar in wow. secondary school. Uh, and I remember turning around to my teacher, uh, Dr. Nguyen, um, one day and just been like, this sucks, man. I don't want to learn how to play Blackbird by the Beatles. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, can I show you music that I listen to and you teach me how to write songs like that? Um, which I guess was kind of, a strange thing to do so we were like knocking out you know senses fail and finch on oh, his acoustic wow. guitar and said like i'm like oh he's like i think the song's in drop d so like you know i was learning i was learning i was writing songs in drop d when i was like 13 14 just like being like yeah i'm gonna get a plaid shirt and pretend i'm ace enders so that was kind of um yeah that was kind of how i got into it was i guess him as a teacher just just not pushing he was like music isn't about you know skate what it is but it's like if that's not how you see music as scales and fucking passing exams and all this sort of stuff within the instruments he was like if you just want to be a songwriter i can teach you some chords and then i can show you chords that work and then you know every now and then he taught me some you know pretty basic stuff but um it was just somebody more that i could like soundboard off if that makes sense and and bounce off and you know and also because the way we did it our, our school was that you basically however long your musical lesson was it was 45 minutes to an hour out of class which was always oh. a touch so like you know he'd be like what what kind of classes do you hate and i'd tell him and he'd always try and do it in the road that way so i'd miss the class <laughs> i didn't like so yeah he was awesome man he was he was a serious cool guy but um that's yeah. awesome did you do are do you still keep in touch with them at all like have you reached out I haven't spoken to him for a number of years. Um, I kind of, I got asked to go back and do like a uh, a talk at my secondary school. Um, and then I can't remember what happened, but it didn't really plan out. But um, yeah, there was, a, there was, I mean, that's, it's what, you know how like people are, oh, I met my bandmates at school. Like I, I met Max, our guitarist in a mosh pit at one of our local gigs in another band that I was playing in. And he was wearing um, a drive through records, like polo top. And I was like, <laughs> it's for, for where we grew up. Like I said, like it, it's, yeah, you could be in the city, not in not too far amount of time, but it was really like a kind of countryside town. Mm -hmm. 
and say for him to be wearing a drive through record stop was really niche. Um, so I was like, we should start a band. And so we had like a bottle of White Lightning, which is like some cheap, shitty side, and we started a band. And that's how we started Jimmy at Six was then and there. So Wow. Um, yeah. Met at a show. Like the drive through t shirt. Old and then, school, man. None and then this, it was, yeah. That's incredible. Of, uh, who, you know, how many Instagram followers have we got? We should not jam. I'll just send you some riffs. It was like, no, let's. How many Instagram followers do you got? Do you know what I mean? I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to sound like a dinosaur, but that feels like more and more when I'm talking to new young bands, it's like they're so, they're so obsessed with like, their social media coverage and how many followers each of each of them have and blah blah i'm just like yeah but can you guys get in a room and jam and can you play music like mm-hmm. do you not and how does that make you feel is that not more valuable than you know like ripping a fucking a gig to you know how many people it's like does it make you feel good so that's good that's what was great about with max and i and and then um we met again like off matt who plays in the band plays bass in the band we met at a shopping center he was like skateboarding with one of our mutual friends and i was like fuck we need another guitarist because all the cool bands have two guitarists um and he was like my next door neighbor is usually playing rage against the machine pretty loudly we should see if he wants to join <laughs> um and then yeah it was it was so it was all like and then i think all the other four dudes went to dan included went to um musical college together so they all, well, a college that had a music course in it, but mm-hmm. they would spend every day together. And I was kind of off mincing about at another college. But um, that was kind of the early years of Yumi at Six, just playing like really, really ropey shit local gigs. And it was amazing. It was probably, you know, yeah, it's just one of those things that you just, you did because it was fun, not because there's any sort of like grand master plan of how we were going to make it, you know? Right. Yeah. It's interesting that, you, well, a couple of things. First off, that you said, you know, with what well, you said, you're a dinosaur and I'm older than you. Uh, but because I remember growing up the same way, it was like going to shows and meeting people. And that's how bands were formed. And then you'd see bands that kind of, you know, fizzled away. But the bands and then those members, the people that really wanted to take it seriously would kind of get together. And then those bands would kind of go on. And yeah. um, and it was done that way. And, and this whole and the idea of selling out was like the worst thing you could do. Like if you're signed to drive through, that was like, oh, my gosh, like this is insane. But but if Green Day signs to, you know, reprise records, it's like sell out band. Like it, like yeah. now that idea is like that's the thing. Like, oh, you have 10,000 Instagram followers. OK, look, maybe we can, you know, start something together. It's just such a different yeah. world nowadays. Um, yeah. and, and then going kind of going back to your your first guitar teacher did you it sounds like you always wanted to write songs to to tell the teacher like yeah i want to this is the bands i like but i want to write songs were you always like you know writing lyrics or like or do you even remember like why that kind of you were drawn to wanting to actually write the songs and not learn more of like i just want to learn how to play the finch guitar riffs yeah i think it was just because Honestly, dude, I think it was because when I was when I would listen to like Incubus or Taking Back Sunday or Finch or wh- whatever the other the bands were growing up that I was in love with, it was like it's how they made me feel that I was like, I wonder if I can give myself that. Uh, I wonder if I can bro- provoke that feeling within my inside myself with something that I do. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, I just wasn't. Like, yeah, playing in Nirvana riff at um, a garage band sort of talent show is great, but, like, it, it's not going to do anything when it comes down to, like, you know, when you're alone, your thoughts, like, just playing Nirvana riff over and over and, you know, mumbling along isn't going to... It didn't feel like it was going to serve me in that sense. I think I was always quite aware of um, the fact that I liked words which i guess sounds really dumb but like i i like the way from an early age i like you know playing with words and, and kind of like journaling or writing poems or writing onomatopoeias and just kind of like exploring like i think language is one of those beautiful things that there's never uh, a shortage of ways of describing something and i think mm-hmm. that that's something that I used to love about doing English literature and English language at school was 
you know it felt like every day I was learning a whole new skill set within that uh so accompanying that with playing the guitar and you know just, it was it was an opportunity just to, to have like me time you know again it was like just being on my own and like just hashing it out and I wrote I, w- I would try and write like three or four songs a week if not more and it was just more and none of them you know strangely enough none of them at the time felt like they were doing anything except for just serving me but then the amount of times I had like at band rehearsals as we went on like I'd be like oh fuck I've I've got a chorus progression that could work here or I've got a riff that might sound cool alongside that or it was strange and you know so you, you just banking loads of ideas is like a kind of angsty you know 14 15 year old kid then it would like serve me a couple of years later when the band was like cooking and trying to make a record so yeah mm-hmm. so once you met max and was was you me six the first band you were in was that kind of like oh we no. had, like i hadn't been in a band before this oh okay so you had been in bands prior to that I, I played in one band and uh they it was so bad like our bassist was also friends with matt and he turned matt turned around to me but one time it's like you know come on man let me why can't we why can't i play bass in a band with you like i can i can really play and I was like, and I was like, yeah, but I don't really know you. I know this other guy and called Phil and all this sort of stuff. And it was like, I basically realized that as much as the other guys in that first band I was in were all my, like similar to what you said, were all, you know, really good friends of mine. And I had a lot of love for them, but like Matt, Max, you know, Chris, and then obviously Dan, when he eventually got in with us as well, was like, it was like life. It wasn't, it was a matter of life or death. Like being in a band was the most important thing. And, you know, we used to ride a thing called the mega bus, which is essentially the Greyhound bus. Um, and I would like book shows, even when we were still at high school to like go and play gigs in Wales or gigs in, you know, down, down the coast. And we'd get on this mega bus with breakables and a box of CDs that we'd all like laminated and burnt our songs onto. And it was like just that feeling of like we're in a gang and we're all taking this seriously enough that like we're all showing our commitment, but not too serious. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, when I would compare that to the other band I was in, I was like, nah, this is this is a bit more of me. This is kind of I like the fact that they're pushing me to be better and pushing me to be more committed. And come on, we need a bit more gigs and you know, no, practicing twice a week isn't good enough. You've got to practice three, four times a week. It was that kind of thing. And yeah, um, so I guess you got to try and keep the company, keep the com- keep, hang on, the company you keep is a reflection of you. So mm-hmm. yeah, people are working hard and, and being ambitious and wanting it and doing it in a way which isn't too overbearing. I think that's pretty important, especially when you're young. Yeah. I mean, you said that you went to the uh, Reading Festival and then played it a year later. It sounds yeah. like, I mean, did, was the band picking up pretty quickly then? Like, do you remember, you know, you play your first early, first few shows and like, are, is the fan base getting bigger? Like, obviously, like, was there some sort of early validation that you guys had that it was like, wow, okay, the, this group of guys, like this, this is gonna, this is doing, we're, we're doing stuff here. Yeah, so I guess that really happened in uh, 2007. I was, we were all still at college. Um, and this is like, is in like, this is prime time MySpace. And um, I messaged this uh, festival called Slam Dunk Festival, which. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's uh, still a big festival. It's, so this has been, again, wasn't, they'd only been on for two years at this point. Wow. And, um, I just messaged this 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 account and said, "Hey, you know, um, one of my favorite bands is playing your festival uh, called Paramore, and I think awesome. we just des- we we deserve a chance to play the festival too. We're number one unsigned band from the UK. We're number one unsigned band from America on the MySpace. You know, like we. I was like, just gave him some spiel about how you know it was we were the vibe. But you guys, so, real like, quick, you guys were doing really well in MySpace. Like your songs were." i guess streaming at that time really well yeah and, and like it, but we we hadn't played any gigs outside of london and surrey at this point we'd literally only played like oh no that's a lie this, that that summer that we left high school we played like a bunch of shows in like bristol and 
uh, Cardiff and Brighton and places that you could basically get pretty cheap down on this mega bus thing. Um, and then I'm just messaging this account and giving them a spiel and said, listen, I don't, I was like, I can't put you on a festival of, of our size. So at this point, it was like a 2000 cap festival, pretty, pretty small. Uh, he's like, I can't do that because I don't know if you're any good, but I've got a gig. Literally, a band's just dropped out. Um, you can come support Sayerson at this 250 cap oh, wow. venue in Leeds, but the gig's tonight. And I was like, I was like, well, we can't get there. We, none of us drive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my friend at the time was a local promoter. He's like, look, I'll organize everything. I'll organize you a van. We'll go up. Just get you get the band all in one place, and I'll pick you up. So we went and played Leeds that night, which doesn't sound too much. We're driving like five hours in England. I know in America, you guys fucking love to drive for hours and hours to even a show. <laughs> I don't know, we like, love it, but you're 100 percent correct. I mean, the, the, the whole the state of California is like 10 hours. Yeah. So like, if you were like, if you were dating somebody and like, oh, I live three hours away, that's not a problem. Do you know what I mean? No, Whereas like, sure. in England, it's it's a problem. So we drove five hours up there didn't tell our parents because they would have been like what are you doing you're 16 years of age you're not dry so i was 16 at this time and we drove up to leeds we played this gig it went horribly but we got talking to this guy called ben ben ray and um i basically said i'll come i basically just annoyed him i was like come on man please put us in this festival and and then a week later he sent me sent, sent me an email saying look you can come play it so we went back and then his best mate was an agent and he Ben was like, look, I want to try and manage you. Um, but and I reckon I can get you an agent if you want. He does like Fallout Boy and Panic the Disco and J- all the fuel by Ramen bands basically. And um, so that was kind of his sell-in. And we met the agent and we loved him and we started working with him. And so it it didn't for us, like now when I like recall it, it's like fucking hell, that was easy. But it wasn't in the sense of like getting people around the band felt really easy. But then it was, it took about another, that following year, we all left college and we basically got called Dial Support because we went on any tour that we, we basically jumped on any tour, didn't matter what it sounded like. If it was a ska band, a metal band, pop punk, hardcore, rock, whatever. If there's a band playing it, we try to get on the, on the tour. So we must have toured the UK like eight times in nine months. <clears throat> and um, yeah, and then we got, booked to play a festival called give it a name festival in 2008 mm-hmm. um and that's kind of where it then just all went a bit silly because we got you know we put out this record with slam dunk our first sound called take off your colors mm-hmm. but at, at give it a name um we got these people from virgin and me and my records were there and they were like we want to sign you so they bought the rights of slam dunk and then we signed emi and that, that was in 2008 2009 so you know, we were finding ourselves in a position where we did about 12, 18 months of touring in England. And then we started doing headline shows and <clears throat> people started coming and start getting label interest. And that bit happened, what felt like really quickly. Um, but yeah, it was just, a, it was the mad old time because we were just, we were kids. So we were like, you know, and that's why I think actually when we met Paramount at a festival, we then became friends and, we we did a couple of shows with them and then years later we went on toured them and around the world and it was kind of like we were 16 17 they were 16 17 so it's just mm-hmm. like we were kind of going through the same thing but on either side of the pond um and that's how we bonded so yeah it was it was weird so we i mean we were doing stuff like headlining the london story which is like 2000 people as an unsigned band uh when wow. i was 18 so it was stuff like that which was unheard of honestly at that time from our scene and that world um <clears throat> so much so i think any of the bands that have that had done it before us were the arctic monkeys and the darkness so oh, damn it was kind of like a strange cut and that's how we kept on getting all this attention so much so that i think in we went out to south by in march 2009 was that your first and america trip or first american it? trip yeah and um wow. We got uh, we we were we were, we booked it all, and then um, Epitaph got so nervous that we might meet another label that we really liked that they signed us before even seeing us, hearing 
really any of our next record or anything like that. So then they signed us and then it was like, well, we better come and tour America. So then we did Warp Tour in 2009. So again, doing all this shit when we're like 18, 19 years of age for a band wow. in the UK. I didn't know you guys signed Epitaph. Did you, what, yeah. what record did you put out on Epitaph? We put out Take Off Your Colors on Epitaph. Um, oh yeah, because it was, okay, now I remember. From what yeah, I was so it's, yeah, it was Brett. Um, <clears throat> That's crazy. I mean, to, yeah, we just, to get a message from him, were you a Bad Religion fan? Honestly, I, I hadn't really grown up on like that Californian like punk music, you know, oh, and okay, I didn't understand. Yeah. And I didn't, honestly, it wasn't until we did Warp Tour where I thought I knew like what the US music scene was saying and what was up. And I had no idea. And then you do like that uh, complete circus of a festival. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you meet so many incredible people and you experience so many incredible things that I think Bad Religion even played some of those shows and that, on that summer I know it was, you know, so it's pretty, so like, I didn't, I didn't really know what the deal was, was Brett. And then you start talking like these older bands, like you don't get it. Like you've just signed like to the coolest label from our scene. And sure. you know, he's a real, he's a real proper music person and stuff. So that was really, that was really great. Yeah, I mean, Epitaph, it was like Epitaph and Fat Records were are like the biggest, you know, indie labels. They're essentially, they're as big as like a major label. Yeah. It's, I mean, in the bands that they keep and hold, I mean, that's huge. They signed Epitaph. Yeah, it was mad. But again, like it was this thing that's like we had no concept of, it's not, so it wasn't that we, because sometimes I've said this before, so the people are like, oh, so you didn't really like value what was happening. And it wasn't that, it was just, it was all happening so quickly that the only option we had to do was to then set a new milestone and keep mm -hmm. moving the goalposts, which I think is why things just continued. Like our rise, especially over in England was so quick compared to others because we were constantly like, that's cool, but what's next? And it was just, we did that for like three, four years. And then, you know, it, it, it just got out of hand in terms of our, our trajectory. So it was like, at the time, I didn't really know. It was only when I, you know, then start spending more time in the States and really, you know, because I think we did walk tour and then suddenly alternative press were like, oh, do you, we're going to book you for our alternative press tour with these bands. And so, like, again, this thing of, like, we've just done walk tour, we're signed to Epitaph, and now we're in with, you know, arguably one of the biggest alternative um, publications for music in the world. Yeah, you know? especially so, for the and, bands that you enjoyed, especially growing up. I mean, alt press is like all those drive through taking back Sundays, yeah. all those bands. I mean, victory records bands like that was, that still is like their, you know, direct uh, audience. Yeah. So it was, it was mad. So yeah, just not really understanding what was going on, but I think had, had we known what was going on, we would all just free ourselves out. So I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we just enjoyed it. <laughs> and like, cause we're like, Oh, this is cool. We just, of course we signed a record doing America. Why wouldn't we? Do you know what I mean? Like, it was, <laughs> right. it was like, that's how it goes, right? So, um, yeah, but now I understand how incredibly um, rare and special that is, especially if you were that age. So, yeah. That's amazing. And, you, I mean, to have the band continually progress the way you have and then to say, you know, well, yeah, that's great, but let's move the goalposts further. I mean, that just shows the... Um, the discipline and just how hard you guys work and to continue to do that. I mean, to get a number one record or a couple number one records and a gold record. I mean, those moments must've been just so amazing. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's, there's so much that happened between like those early years that I've described and then those, and then that stuff. Um, but it was just, I think now like where I'm at, with the experience that we have in in music i kind of feel like a lot of it makes sense like a lot of the the success came from just a relentless and fearless kind of work ethic and it was you know there was i know that look the other thing is that there's loads of bands that work really fucking hard and toured relentlessly and it just didn't happen so First and foremost is like an unbelievable amount of luck and right place, right time, right people, moments, you know, season them. We've also had a bunch of moments that we haven't seized in, in huge parts of our careers. And, you know, and there's been really bad fucking moments where 
felt like the world was ending in regards to Yumi at six. But there was a real, a serious time where from like 2008 till pretty much 2014, it didn't matter what we did, we just kept on gathering more more, more, more momentum and yeah, all accumulated with our first number one on, on Cavalier Youth, which was mental. Um, and, you know, we made that record at, when, at NRG Studios um, and made it with Neil Avron, you know, who, again, as a producer, when I, when I heard that he was like, up for doing it, I was like, this is the guy that, you know, fucking had Fallout Boy in Lincoln Park and, you know, bands from fucking Weybridge, sorry, don't even end up in the same sentence as this human being, let alone working with them. So there's just so many mad, mad fucking things. Like, yeah, we were in very, very lucky. Yeah. Sure. Wow. And then you did, well, the next record is the one you mentioned earlier about doing a national, right? Night people. Yeah. That's cool. That was too. wicked. It was, we, it, you know, again, it was like, so we, we did like, I think every band, if they're honest from our scene, if they get this far in, they make that record where they think, well, we need to try something different because we've done all this other stuff which worked perfectly, but now we don't want to just be known as like a pop punk band or an emo band. So instead we're going to do, fucking how many We're going to do a record that's like, you know, and that was like our, we're going to try and be mature and wear leather jackets and make a record in Nashville and drink smoky whiskey and smoke cigarettes and fucking be dickheads do you know what i mean like that was our era of you me at six and it was fucking awesome we had a great time but like you know we were just like oh we, well we should go and make a record with jakir because he's a badass and he made only by the night by kings of leon and mm-hmm. we should go and spend like fucking 300 grand making a record of blackbird and you know just completely was ridiculous shit <laughs> um but you know at the end of the day like having the number one record before that get, kind of bought us that it just facilitated all of it. It facilitated all the mad ideas. And and that was the first time, I think, in our band's career where we felt, like, pressure. It was the first time in our band's career that somebody tried to A&R us. Like, we had oh. people the label been like, oh, you've had all success, but now we think we know what you can do to be better, sort of thing. And so, you know, there was a, it was just a very strange time. Um, but, you know, working with Jakir, he made us a better band because we recorded everything live. So, um, you know, it was like, it's, it has to be the perfect tape or we go again sort of thing. So from that, that gave us a new sense of like what it meant to like literally be in the pocket and like really understand one another. And it was a challenge and it was a great experience, but we'd gone from being like, right, we track all the drums in four days and then we do everything else. It was like, mm-hmm. no, we're doing song by song. And it has to be like Studio B and Blackbird. We're on the clock, let's get it right sort of thing. So. And also, like, you know, Nashville, again, you just, we, we we did sort of three records back to back of two in LA and then one in Nashville. And we were like, this is fucking bizarre, just like super bizarre. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was yeah. one of those, started like hanging out fucking like Dan and Shay and shit like that. Like, you know, just <laughs> didn't know where we were, what we were doing, but we were having a great time. Um, and I guess Nightly was the, the record that we tried something a little bit more like, just strap rock and like uh-huh. there's almost like some kind of bluesy stuff in there but and you you also hear you can hear Nashville on that record I think if you know it was made in Nashville you can hear it and feel it a little bit for some reason I've got this weird country twang that kind of comes in and out um yeah bizarre just hanging but, out there um, and hearing the accent for a while <laughs> yeah exactly like, oh, right, okay you know, I have a little skip in my voice now I do it but no it was <laughs> It was a great time, man. And yeah, incredible place to do something like that. And you did the the six and then back in the UK, right? You recorded yeah, that there. The, yeah, we made our next record. Um, and that was kind of, that was interesting because that was our first record where we had we'd left like the major label system. Uh-huh. So we were no longer with EMI or Virgin and, and we did two records, Cavalier Youth and, and Night People with BMG, who were trying to you know, um, get get a marketplace as a master's as well. They've been a publisher before that. And so now we've joined this company called Able, which is very much like it's just, you know, a licensing deal. Like they give you a bit of a budget and you put stuff together. So it was cool because we kind of went back to like, I don't want to call it DIY because that would not be, that would be doing people that work at Able a real disservice, but it's very much like 
you build your team, you build, bring everybody in, you know, you outsource everything from Ranger Plugger, TV Plugger, Press, um, you know, and there's no, and what was the first thing we said as soon as we went there, having night people, which was great, but the A&R situation, we're like, we don't need it. We, this mm-hmm. is our, you know, our sixth record and we don't need somebody telling us how to make music. We just want to go off and do it and we just want a label that trusts us that, you know, the trust, we'll do it with conviction and, and people either fucking dig it or they won't, but can we not do this soft bullshit where we're, you know, to make you feel better, you come down to the writing sessions or recording sessions and nah, like, like we don't need that. We'll just give us a budget, we'll make it, we'll send it, yeah, and then we'll put it out. And that was wicked because they were like, it's all about that. It's all about that. It's obviously energy, but that relationship of, you know you're the musicians we're just here to try and facilitate and help where we can so and we've had a great time with it you know since then because we've put all our records out with them we've set up our own imprint there um and then we also thought right fuck it if they just give us a budget we can just start traveling the world again and making records we made sucker punch in thailand which was oh wow a complete trip and then we just made um Truthcay in Santorini in Greece. So no we've way. sort of used the recording process as just an excuse as a vehicle <laughs> for us to go traveling. So that's killer. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Sucker Punch came out as a number one record as well. So it was like, it's interesting that they would want to put, or the label would want to put kind of an AR in your corner when you had such a track record of success kind of without that, you know, on Blackbird. Or at yeah. Blackbird, I think, I, you know, what I think happens is that. I think there was a real anxiety around the fact that a new guy came in, a really brilliant guy actually called a Marshall. And we had just, we tried to, we tried to leave the label after Cavalier Youth, like really hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically was like, look, I'll let you do whatever you want. I'll let you spend what you want, go where you want, whatever you want. You just can't leave. You've got to do a record with me. And we kind of all fell in love with him as like a bloke. We're like, fuck it. It's called a, we'll give him another record. <laughs> Um, and then we didn't realize that one of the conditions was that, you know, there was going to be three or four people like trying to be like, Hey, you should go and write with this person or write with that person. I was like, nah, doesn't feel good doing that. So I think we all got inside our own heads, including them. And, um, you know, but one of the main things that come out of that whole process was a song called Take on the World, which is, you know, also they become, you know, one of our biggest songs. Um, it was, it got used for loads of really cool sync stuff and just opened a completely different door for the band in that sense. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't all, and also we got to work with Jakir King. He was again, the bucket list producer for us. Like, so in our time, we got to work with, you know, Garth Richardson, Neil Lavron and Jakir King, you know, three really decorated and respected producers and engineers. It was like, you know, that whole era of working with a major label wasn't a bad thing and I don't have any regrets doing it um, but <clears throat> since then it's been great just to kind of you know we've been working with our friend Dan Austin who's awesome and he just is just an extension of our band so it's like you know it's no bullshit we as soon as we turn up we did one song and see if we if he liked us to be honest and um we all decided that we should do the record and that was it and we've been working together ever since so it's a simple that's amazing. You said you did. You guys did Truth Decay in, in Greece, and yeah, yeah, and Sucker Punch was in Thailand. Was did you? I mean, the pandemic happened kind of between. Uh, well, was Sucker Punch was that a record that you were able? to, I guess uh, did that affect like the writing process of that album and all? Or no. So strangely enough, we did. Uh, we did Sucker Punch in. Oh, October, no, September, October, and November of 2019. Oh, interesting. And so the plan was Sucker Punch was meant to be a summer release for 2020. And then, like, literally, obviously, we, we all know, I don't fucking paint out for anybody, but that year was a clusterfuck. So we basically uh-huh. sat on that album for way longer than we wanted to, like, I don't think that record came out until 2021. So, you know, for us, it was like, and some of those songs have been written since like 2018. So we were like, let's get this recorded. Let's fucking get this going. <laughs> and then, get it, yeah. it was weird because, it, you know, and actually I, I'm really fond of that record because I kind of feel like 
because we sat on it for so long, became really, really attached to it before it even came out. So mm -hmm. like, um, you know, and I, I think when, and a lot of that record we wrote on the fly. So like, like we were in Thailand and, you know, Dan would be tracking drums and me and Max would go off for a walk, come back. Max would do guitars and that, and then me and Dan would go write another song and be like, we should do that tomorrow. Or Max, you know, we were all all pitching in. And that's why as a record, it's not really cohesive. It's like sort of, you know, one song was me being like, I want to do a song that has like J. Cole samples in it. And it's like, all right, cool, we'll do that. Do you know what I mean? And then the other person's like, well, I want a song that has like, a dance moment in it like dance fucking synths and you know <laughs> all this sort of shit and so it just became a bit of a, a ongoing joke that like we were all trying to squeeze our um every kind of like weird thing that we wanted to selfishly do it's very self-indulgent record but it was so much fun doing it that way and also everybody being on the record that it just felt really great um and when it went to number, I mean, we were in lockdown, like lockdown number two or three, when it went to number one, it was kind of like, you know, having a Zoom party to fucking, you know, toast, <laughs> champagne and shit. Like, so yeah, it's a weird, a weird time. And then really like, it was one of those things that then again, we couldn't tour until September, 2021. And it was like, you know, we only did one tour and it was like an underplay tour for that album. So, you know, a lot of those songs never really got their turn. Um, but we had we knew we had to turn our attention to another record pretty soon because you know how people are these days in that sense that everyone's ready for the next thing now yesterday yeah. You know? yeah 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 so you can't really mess about for too long in that sense um but yeah so yeah, truth decay was, was were songs i mean to have those other ones done in 2019 i'm sure you were writing obviously after the, that record's done and then the pandemic happens, you guys are waiting to put the album out. Are you working on those songs that eventually came out on Truth the Gay? Tell you what, I didn't write a single song for that whole pandemic. Oh, wow. I was, I, I was, I was, you know, when people were like, oh, I started baking or I got into really into fitness or I did this. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's really awesome. I got a prescription, uh, no, subscription, sorry, with a wine company called Lathwaite's Wine. And they would send me 12 bottles of wine every week. And they were like from all over the world. And my thing was how many Netflix series can I nail? Uh, and so <laughs> I would be sitting up, sitting in my dressing gown, drinking wine at like, midday, watching shit. And I remember one day my girlfriend came into the room. She was like, you got to pull your shit together, man. And I was like, no. <laughs> She's like, this is a problem. It's over. It's over. <laughs> if the world doesn't, if the world isn't, killed off because this thing music's never come back because at the time it was like we are never we you couldn't imagine a time where people would all be in a crowd again together do you right. know what i mean so i was like the band's fucking done i'm unemployed as fuck um you know i mean it's the most broke i think we've all been at this point since we're 15 16 years of age and have jobs you know like we managed yeah. to kind of get through it but and look i'm not even going to get the violins out there people that had it so much worse than fucking privileged white musicians but um no we it was a tough time and i just i just felt so devoid of um of any of any sincerity or anything that like i was, was like, i can't be asked i can't be asked to put myself in something where i don't know if it, if anything's going to come of it so it was only we actually wrote truth decay or at least the music of it on like three Air band Airbnb writing trips that so we went on sort of late 2021, and then um, again with the with the label with AOL, we was like we basically lied and said we'd written the whole record is good to go. We sent them one demo and they released the funds and we just, we were like, well, like where are you gonna record it by the way? We we're like, oh, we're going to Santorini, so we're seeing a bit like what are you up to? Like you're going <laughs> fucking jolly. Um, <laughs> And then we got out there to this uh, incredible studio called Black Rock. And um, it was so wholesome and like, you know, perfect. Like we, it was just in this little, little town in Santorini. And, you know, you walk, you walk to the local restaurant, you walk and we, but we also had like, they offered like um, <clears throat> a dining thing where they'd send this lovely lady called Maria to come and cook for us every day. And, Wow. Yeah, it was just, it was like 
spending time with your grandma, even though she wasn't the age of a grandma, but, you know, or a Greek mum, you know, she was always, always like hummus and tatsiki and fucking kalamata olive and all this sort of stuff out and about. And it was great, man. And we just sort of, we spent a lot of time being like, who are we? What do we want to do? Blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, look, we need to write songs that have us jumping up and down and screaming the words in each other's faces. Otherwise, let's just use this as a holiday and go home, you know? So until we got to that point, didn't know if that record was even going to come out of that process, to be honest, but um, it did. And it was great. And, um, you know, a record that I think we're all really collectively really fond of because it kind of, because we sort of went backwards to go forwards, we revisited a, a side of the band that we was familiar, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like yeah. pop punk, emo music. Like we were like, oh, we know how to do this. But now what if we use all the experience of making a record in Nashville and making Sucker Punch where we started using all these other instrumentation and synths and, you know, other elements and how can we, how can we pull all that experience into making the record that we were making when we were teenagers? Um, and that's basically what we did with Truth to Gain. It was really fucking awesome. And it was kind of like, a, oh no, we do love doing this and we love being in a band together. And yeah, it was awesome. So very very yeah. lucky it's an i love the record i think it's an awesome album and it's amazing that you guys get to like really tour and support it this time around it sounds like you know with the other album it didn't get as much yeah uh, absolutely and that's kind of why we're like we're you know we're really taking the chance and working with rise records now we're really taking the chance to show them our investment and commitment and coming back to america as often as possible and and doing stuff there we've you know, going back to Southeast Asia, going doing our tour of Australia, got finally going to go down to South America. And we're just like, fuck it. You know, when you realise that something can be taken like that and can feel like it's over that quickly, then uh, honestly, dude, the thing we've always wanted to do as a band and the thing that's always meant the most to us is was always longevity, which we're now in year 18. So we've achieved that in that sense. And the second thing was to travel and experience life together. It's never been like, don't, for the narcissist in me and the egomaniac in me is like, it's fucking awesome having number one records and gold discs and selling out arenas and blah, blah, blah. That's obviously a huge payoff, but it's also just as, if not more important to us to, you know, be part of something where it's, you know, friends, family. Um, and, you know, even in a couple of weeks, we've got the big biannual You Me at Six family event where all of our parents, our siblings, our partners, um, we all have like a big party together to celebrate, you know, the fact we're all in each other's lives. And I think that's always been that's what it's been about for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not rare that, you know, people have that relationship with say the other bandmates, parents and siblings and stuff like that. But for us, it's always been the kind of the cornerstone of like what is important is, is that. So um, yeah, to be able to, you know, keep doing like, even when I was just saying, no, we, we made a record in Thailand and then Santa, you know, that's fucking absurd. You know, it's like a really weird, weird, beautifully weird situation to find ourselves in. So we don't take it for granted. We just, to try and enjoy it and enjoy life as much as possible because you know only got one mate this this, yeah. is, this isn't a rehearsal for the next one so <laughs> well that's awesome you guys get together like that you said every every year or a couple times every a year? year every year if we can i mean i think the last time we did it was for six and then we were going to do it for sucker punch couldn't but then for my 30th uh max did had a surprise party for me and you know his mum and dad were there and i believe maybe dan's mum came along but so this is the but a lot of the also the siblings and stuff have been traveling around dan's mum and i've been traveling around so this is like the first time we've, we set up a, a new whatsapp group and we're like this is what's happening this is the date we're doing it and that's it's awesome. fucking it's fucking on so yeah it's gonna be a good time that's so cool man and then i'm gonna you guys are gonna be well you'll be in the states at the end of september i know you'll be here in nashville i think the 27th so i'll have to come out and check you and i appreciate your time today josh thank you so much man for doing this oh adam absolute pleasure man yeah i'm, I'm definitely come down i think it's the basement the basement east right, yeah it's, a, it's a, yeah. that's a, the i think east is the bigger one that's a great room okay cool yeah i'm looking um there's some places that we're doing on this tour 
and actually it's funny because you know when we were talking to um josh klein our agent and we we're talking to rise we we're like can we just go to all the places we like and they were like that's not <laughs> that's not really how you route at all and we're like yeah we know that but like if we're going to do it like we want to go to the places where we know that like we've got some really amazing memories and like loads of friends and so we've basically like put together a tour which is an extension of us playing places we need to play or want to play but a lot of it is again is quite selfish we're like oh let's go back to Nashville we haven't, we haven't played in Nashville since fucking 2016 2015 wow. it's like you know I want to you know I want to go there and see all my friends that I made 10 years ago do you know what I mean so mm-hmm. yeah we're good man so definitely come out for sure Definitely. Well, thank you again so much, Josh. I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, all right, so it's painfully cliche, but I would say um, trust your gut instincts. And if you put, if you measure success based on how others measure your success you're going to fail so have your own um have your own goals and they can be success can be playing to 10 people in your local bar and fucking loving it you know like really getting something out of it don't compare yourself to others you're in a race with no one but yourself um and try and surround yourself with people that would starve with you as well as eat with you. And if you do that, then, you know, you've got a pretty good chance of, um, of at least failing with a smile on your face versus being successful and miserable. <laughs>